This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. see, the moralists fool themselves. They consider themselves to be more civilized, more educated, more refined, believing that they cannot commit such sins when looking down on others and judging them because of their sins. But they also sin. We can find, easily find fault in others more readily than with ourselves. It's very easy. Because sin looks good on me than it does on someone else. In the book of Romans, Paul systematically reveals all people's need for a savior. A moralist argues that he's a good person based on human standards. However, Paul points to God's holy standard, the Ten Commandments, to reveal all men's guilt before the Lord. Pastor Eddie cautions us from trying to justify ourselves, for it is impossible. Instead, our reaction to sin should be to run to Jesus, the only one who can offer us forgiveness and hope of eternal life. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie with today's edition of Running the Race. In our last study, we ended in chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, where the Apostle Paul addressed the practices of the depraved Gentiles. And so we're still in God's courtroom. In God's courtroom, Paul is going to prove with clear and convincing evidence beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt, as he writes, by the time he finished with these three groups of people, the depraved Gentile, the moralists, the moralizers, and he's going to deal with the people of the law, the Jews. And now we're still in God's courtroom. And last week we saw that Paul proved that the depraved Gentiles were left without excuse. And at the very end of his case, in the close of his case, he's going to prove. And it's going to lead us to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, For all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And that, that means all, every Jew, Gentile, every man, every woman, whether rich or poor, slave or free, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all have sinned and all fall short of God's standard. And so in verses 18 to 32 in chapter 1, Paul called to the stand. He called the depraved Gentile who suppressed the truth. Who in verse 20 says, in verse 28 of chapter 1 says, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, knowing that they're left without excuse. How did he know there's a God? They never heard of a God. They never heard about Jesus' salvation. But they have all of creation. They have the moon, the stars, they have the trees that show that there is an origin of everything and it comes from God. And so the evidence that Paul brought at the very end, uh, it, at the very end, Paul makes it clear that the depraved Gentile has a list of sins. And he gives us that list in verses 29 to 31. Let's look at that list again. This is the evidence Paul brought in the courtroom. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, 
full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, investors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And so the depraved Gentile was the first one at the witness stand, and he is left without excuse because the evidence was brought in God's courtroom. He left without excuse. Now, after looking at verses 29 to 31, uh, one would say, wow, I am definitely the sinner. You look at all of this and you could even, I mean, I mean, I've committed at least five or six, you would say. Or maybe some of us, we committed 12 or all of them or maybe one or two. I doubt it's going to be one or two. So you look at all these sins that Paul has brought in God's courtroom. All the evidence is there. We've committed sin against God. And after knowing you're guilty... You Now you know you're left without excuse. You walk off the witness stand there and you make your way to the cross and you repent to God and you know you're a sinner and you've been convicted. You accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, as your Lord and personal Savior. And so as you accept Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, now you're saved. However, however, there are those who would look at a person who has committed such sins and would probably say, well, oh man, I've never committed any of those sins. I'm not a sinner. I am not like that. I have morals. I'm a good person. And so we would say, I would never commit that. The moralizer, the one who thinks that they're morally good, morally educated. Those who say they're good people. And so now from verse 1 through 16, Paul is going to prove that the moralists themselves, he's going to prove with clear, convincing evidence beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt that the moralizer themselves has also fallen short of God's standard. Because you get people who say, wait a minute, I am not like that. Okay, you're not like that? You're not like the depraved Gentile? You're a more or less good person. I'm going to call you to the witness stand. Let's look at verse 1. Therefore, he says, you are inexcusable, old man. Whoever you are who judge, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. In chapter 1, those who reject God are without excuse. Here in chapter 2, those who judge are also without excuse. Excuse, because Paul says, you are inexcusable, O man. Why? You who judge practice the same thing. But some would say, well, uh, wait a minute. I don't practice sexual immorality. I don't practice wickedness, covetousness. I don't practice murder. I never murdered anyone. I'm not a hater of God. And we tend to look at the really bad, bad sin, the obvious. And because we don't commit those sins, we think that we're without sin. And so Paul is calling them to the stand. You see, the moralists fool themselves. They consider themselves to be more civilized, more educated, more refined, believing that they cannot commit such sins when looking down on others and judging them. Because of their sins. 
but they also sin. We can find, easily find fault in others more readily than with ourselves. It's very easy. Because sin looks good on me than it does on someone else. That's always the case. Sin don't look bad when I do it, but it really looks bad when I see others do it, and so we judge. And though the moralist, the good person, may not have even committed the sin, certain sins, there are things uh, that they need to remember. These are the facts. There are three facts that one needs to consider. If you think that you have morals and there are certain sins that you don't commit, there's three things you need to consider. First, every man is capable of committing all sins. Every sin that's written in Scripture that we have, 613 commandments, right? And we have throughout the Scriptures, uh, we're capable of committing one of them, if not all of them. Fact number two, if you break one commandment, just one, you're guilty of them all. We think that, okay, we committed one, but I'm not a, a sinner. Just like every one of us, I'm pretty sure, don't lie. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm pretty sure everyone has received a summons, a ticket, or a summons of violation, right? Moving, brake light, defective brake light, no seatbelt, whatever it is, right? Or a parking ticket. Well, if you're in New York City, everyone had at least three or 20 in one year. So over here, you don't get, they don't force it that much as far as parking, you know? But the reality is, if you break one law, you're a lawbreaker. That's the reality of it. James says in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever, shall, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumbles in one, he is guilty of all. You're guilty of all. Just break one, you're guilty of all of them. And thirdly, though you may not have committed the very act of sin, in thought, in heart, you're still guilty. You may not went out and say, you know what, I didn't commit that sin, but you had it in thought and you had it in your heart. Jesus says that's a sin. Jesus gave us an example, just one, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, but I never even spoken to that. Yes, you committed adultery. God knows all things. You could fool man. You can fool your spouse, but you can't fool God. And so without doing the very act in your heart, you have sin. And this is what Jesus teaches us. Remember the Jews, they had all the, they had the laws. They had the oracles of God, all the commandments. But when Jesus came in, he broke it down and said, listen, you really think you're righteous by keeping the law? Well, I'm going to really redefine and give you the definition of what it means, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's amazing. The Old Testament was given to us, these commandments. You know, they, they follow them to the T, or they try to. Jesus comes in the picture. Guess what? He interprets the commandments. It makes it more difficult. You mean that's what it means, thou shalt not commit adultery? Then we all sin. We've done it hundreds of times. That's right. Jesus comes in the picture, and you want to follow the law? The law became more difficult. But you know what's amazing even about that? Because of Jesus, it became more easy to be saved. 
Because Jesus fulfilled the law. Because in the, when you broke the law, not understanding the definition of the re, true definition of the law, if you broke the law, you had to wait every year right, to go, you know, day of atonement, go there to Passover, bring your lamb and be, you know, sacrifice a lamb for the atonement of your sins. But because Jesus came into the picture, all you got to do is believe, have eternal life. And now those sins are washed away. Amazing. But we all sin. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important for us to understand this word judge in the New Testament. How many of us heard the phrase, don't judge me. Who are you to judge? You heard that phrase, right? Christians and non-Christians alike. You heard it from every, every source. You heard it from at work. You heard it with your family. You heard it in church. You heard it outside of the church. You heard it in the bar. You heard it everywhere. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? I think we need to understand what it means to judge here before we go any further. The word judge here is in the Greek is krino, krino, krino. It is used 114 times in the New Testament. 114 times in the New Testament and is mentioned three times in this one verse. Krino. The word krino means, it translates to judge to be guilty. To judge a person to condemnation. And what happens is when you crino, when you judge in crino, when you judge, what you do is you're rendering a verdict. You're rendering a verdict to judge a person to punishment. Can I tell you something, saints? That is not your place. That is not my place. Nobody is in the place to judge but God. Just the Lord. We're not to judge anyone unto condemnation. God doesn't need help because God could see the heart of every man. He knows what's in their thoughts. God needs no help from you. Trust me. Because it's easy to spot sin. Because remember, it doesn't look good on other people. It looks good on you. I love what Billy Graham said, and I mentioned this before. I have just two quotes from two godly men in my office. Chuck Smith, a quote that he has, and then this one here, Billy Graham. It is the Holy Spirit job to convict, God's job to judge, my job to love. So we're not to crino anyone. We're not to judge unto condemnation. Jesus tells us not to judge or you too will be judged. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Very simple. We shouldn't crino anyone. You know, and again, we look at fault because it's easy for us. Again, some of us will take a magnifying glass to find that one little speck of sawdust in their brother's eye. And meanwhile, they have a telephone pole coming out of their own eye. And it's wrong. It's not our place to judge people. Judge unto condemnation. 
Paul tells us later on in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. He's talking to the church. He's talking to fellow believers. Why? Because the more you know about the law, the more you're critical about the law and you start judging everyone. Now you're more aware of the law. Hey, that's illegal. I found out that's illegal. We shouldn't do that. Oh, that's a sin. I found that in the Bible. Oh, that's a sin. You know, we go to church and we are filled with laws and legalism sometimes. And we, we tend to now get all the laws together and start looking at everybody to see that they broke those laws. So Paul is writing to fellow believers. So let us not crino one another. Now there's another judgment in the New Testament. Another word for judge in the scripture that Jesus tells us about is the judgment to exercise with careful discernment. That's a judgment. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. There's a judgment? Yes, it's a righteous judgment. Not judged by appearance, not talking about, oh, listen, you need a makeover. I don't like your tie. I don't, don't match your shirt. I'm not, we're not, he's not talking about that appearance. It's talking about the actions. Because we really don't understand the full picture of someone's life. So don't judge by the outward appearance, but judge by righteous judgment. The judgment word here in the Greek is christen, christen. That's to judge, make a righteous judgment, not based on appearance, but to evaluate to come to a conclusion. And then there's a third judge, and it's diacrino. Diacrino, which means to spot a problem, to see a problem. That's a judgment that we should exercise as well. Righteous judgment, and now this diacrino is a judgment we must practice. And what is a diacrino judgment? Jesus gave us a verse. Jesus gave these words. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 16, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ravish, ravish wolves, wolves. You will know them by their fruit. How would you know if the, a person is a false prophet? How would you know that it's a wolf in sheep clothing? Diacrino. So you see, there is different types of judgment, and sometimes, you know, Christians are often accused of judging people, you know, judging people whenever, uh, you know, we speak against sinful activity. And when the church is taking a stand against certain practices that are here in America now, like homosexuality or an abortion, oh, why are you judging? It's not crino. We're not judging under condemnation. Sin is sin. We're calling it sin because the Bible calls it sin. That is why. And so we need to be careful when it comes to the area of judgment, but Christ tells us what we should be judging. But we shouldn't judge someone because we see someone uh, behave in such a way they, they commit a sinful act. So you're going to judge. You're going to hell for that. Or God is angry at you. Oh, that's really bad. That's not our place. I hope no one here in Calvary Chapel practiced that. If you have, now you know. What area you should judge? Looking out for false prophets. Being aware of a problem. As a matter of fact, we are to carefully judge for identification, not for condemnation. That's an area that's only for the Lord. It is only he who judges. And so he is to judge. 
And he's going to judge those, especially as Paul is speaking to us here, because those who judge, crino, others, Paul says, you practice the same things. Let's look at verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. God, in his justice, will punish anyone who practices sin. That is, the wages of sin is death, isn't it? God is the one who would judge, condemn those according to truth, according to his truth, according to the word. And only God can do that because God knows the heart of every man. You see, we may witness someone commit a sin that, okay, it's obvious, and you may not creno them, hopefully you don't, but see, God knows all things. There are more deeper things in someone's heart, and only God could see those things. God knows the heart of every man. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the writer of Hebrews says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes of him to whom we must give an account, and we will give an account. We need to be careful. You know, I've learned, you know, the more you understand your relationship with God, the better you are with fellow man. I tell you why. I've learned how grateful, gracious God is towards me, how merciful, how patient he is for me, to me, and how, he, how much he forgives me. Because I learned that from my master, I learned that from Jesus, I then passed that on to my fellow man. I've learned to have mercy among others. I learned to be patient with others. I've learned so much of how to treat people because the way he has treated me. He is my God. He loves me. And I in turn do the same for others. All we are to do is not to judge. We are to love and pray to encourage one another so that when we fall short, when we sin, we too can receive love and prayer and encouragement for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God doesn't need our help in judging. Leave that to the Lord. Verse 3 He continues to say, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practice such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? God's judgment is inescapable. Every man will give an answer. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every man will appear before God. Every man, woman, boy or girl will appear before God. Verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Yes, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. I'm We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been walking through the book of Romans with us, teaching us the truth and values found in its pages. As we continue to learn along with the recipients of Paul's letter, we'll find that the gospel message is present and practical for everyday life. If you've been touched by today's teaching and would like to listen again, you can find it on runningtheraceradio.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to the Running the Race podcast. When you do, you'll have access to the latest teachings as soon as they're made available. 
You can also connect with us on social media. Like our Facebook page to join the conversation and add some encouragement to your newsfeed. Before our time with you today comes to an end, we'd like to take a moment and tell you how you can partner with us here at Running the Race. With more, here's Tracy. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that running the race is missionary work? It is. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting running the race. Go to runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Give option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. That website one more time is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Join us again for another insightful edition of Running the Race.